right, I'm really glad to see you all this morning. I hope you have your Bible with you and that you'll turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. As you're turning there, I want to tell you about something that uh, I'm really excited about and greatly encouraged by. Uh, you know, a couple of, well, I guess a month or two ago now, I told you about a local church that was without a pastor and uh, they were looking for folks to fill in the pulpit. And I said, we've got six guys that are going to go there and, and, and in six weeks preach through uh, the book of Philemon. Well, those guys did that, and, and uh, it, I think it was good for those guys. I think it was good for that local church. I think I was glorified in it. Well, that church is still without a pastor, and so we're sending five more guys uh, starting this week to go there and preach through the book of Titus, uh, five different guys. So that's 11, 11 dudes uh, from First Baptist over the last couple months that have gone out from here uh, to preach the word of God uh, to the people of God in different local churches. And uh, I just cannot tell you how... Uh, encouraging that is to me, how exciting that is to me, and, and uh, I hope that you're encouraged by it as well. Um, there are other opportunities to do that. If any of you are interested, let me know. Uh, I think we could, we could probably work something out along those lines. Today, we're in 2 Peter chapter 2. Last week, we wrapped up a two-week look at a text where Peter played defense against the false teacher's dismissal of his teaching. Like, these guys are basically saying, oh, it's just myth, it's just story, it's just fable. So like in a courtroom, Peter is going to call witnesses. That's what we saw him do. First, he called himself and the other apostles as eyewitnesses and earwitnesses. And uh, in fact, I was just in my daily reading this morning, I encountered uh, John talking about how he heard and saw these things and he's told them to you so that you might believe. Like he's been a witness, not just so that you'll know, but so that you'll believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Peter was doing. That's what the other apostles were doing. Then Peter called the prophets as witness. Both weeks we tried to see that we can trust the scriptures. The scriptures give us light in this dark world. They are a source of truth and revelation for us. We can trust the Bible and we must submit to it as the authority in all matters of faith and practice. That's what we've talked about over the last few weeks. That's the general lesson. Specifically last week for application, I said what a privilege it is to have such access to the word of God as we have today. What a privilege it is to have such free access to the word of God as we have today. And we tried to talk a little bit about how thankful we are for the Protestant Reformation, which is much of the reason why we have such access, such free access to the word of God. What a privilege that is, but what a responsibility that that access carries with it. Responsibility to avail ourselves of that access. How, how crazy it is that we have all this access to the word of God and we never read it. All this access to the word of God, and we never study it. All this access to resources and helps to help us understand the word of God, and we neglect it. And it gathers dust on our shelves. We have a responsibility to avail ourselves and not neglect the word of God. And we have a responsibility to carefully handle the word of God. It's what I love about First Baptist Church. I think we take the word of God really seriously, and we handle it really carefully. And even these 11 guys that we have sent out from here to preach in other places, we want to make sure that they are being careful with the word of God as they deliver it to other people. We're going to talk much more about that today. What a privilege, but what a responsibility. I told you that we must pay careful attention to the word of God through spiritual disciplines of scripture intake, reading, studying, meditating, memorizing, listening to the word of God preached. I told you that we've got to be Berean when we do listen to the word of God preached. Those folks at Berea were more noble than the ones at Thessalonica. The Bible says in that they received the word of God with readiness, examining the scriptures daily to see if it was so. We want to be like that. When we hear the word of God preached, we want to receive it with readiness, but we want to also examine the scriptures to see if it's so. 
just because someone is a preacher, just because they stand in a pulpit, just because they have their Bible open, doesn't mean they are preaching according to the Word of God. And so we want to be careful listeners to the Word of God as well. And if we do that, if we are paying close attention to the Scriptures, we are going to see the big story. The big story in all the stories of the Bible, we're going to see that. You remember this quote from Sally Lloyd-Jones in the Jesus Storybook Bible when she said, there are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story, every story in the Bible whispers his name. That last bit has been rattling around in my head and in my heart, especially as we look forward to the Advent season. And so that quote has inspired our Advent sermon series this year, which, by the way, starts in two weeks. Did you realize that? Like two weeks from now is the first Sunday of Advent. And so our sermon series this year is going to look at some familiar stories from the Old Testament, from Genesis in particular, to see how every story in the Bible whispers his name. We're going to look at those familiar stories from Genesis and say, this is whispering the name of Jesus. And we're going to see that clearly as we anticipate our celebration of the incarnation at Christmas time. The whole Bible is telling the story about how God loves us and how he reconciles sinful man to himself. The whole story of the Bible tells about how the holy God reconciles the sinful man to himself through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole Bible is calling us to repent of our sins and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. So even now, I want to echo the message of the whole Bible. Repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. This week in the text in chapter 2, Peter transitions from playing defense to playing offense as he goes on the attack directly against the false teachers that are bringing danger to these Christians that he loves so much. One of the things that we're going to learn in this text is that there have always been false teachers spreading lies and leading people astray. That was the case in the Old Testament, even from as early as the Garden of Eden with that sneaky little snake. Jesus warned the apostles in the New Testament. The apostles warned the churches in the epistles. False teachers have always been around. Brothers and sisters, they are still around. And they will be until the Lord Jesus Christ himself returns in power and glory to vindicate his people, and to destroy his enemies, including those false teachers. We need this text today. We really do. And it would be a huge mistake to read what we see in 2 Peter chapter 2 as history that doesn't apply to us. Like, oh, this is the kind of thing that was happening in the first century, in the early church, and it doesn't really apply to us. No, 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 it applies to us. The enemy is real, and he is at work today. Peter has already warned us of this in 1 Peter chapter 5. You remember this text in verse 8? Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And he does that devouring oftentimes in rooms like this through false teachers. Be sober. Be alert. Be ready. False teachers are real, and they're a really big problem. Let's look at it in 2 Peter chapter 2. Today we're going to look at verses 1 to 3. This is God's word. Let's hear it as God's word. Let's receive it as God's word. Let's submit to it as God's word. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, 
who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Let's pray together. Oh, Father in heaven, we are thankful that you have caused us to hear the voice of the true shepherd and to follow him. And we want to keep hearing his voice, but we know there are other voices that do not speak truth nor love. These voices do not lead us to green pastures or still waters. They seek to lead us down the road, the broad road that leads to destruction. Oh, Father, help us to know the difference. Help us to respond to the voice of our Lord Jesus Christ with glad obedience and to reject the voice of false teachers. We need your wisdom for this. We need your help for this. So we ask for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to look at these three verses today. And as always, we're going to look at them really closely so that we can see the details. But I also want us to see the bigger picture here. And so right off the bat, I want to give you kind of the generalities of the text today. Number one, there, are, there always have been and there always will be false teachers. We'll see that in the text today. Number two, those false teachers will lead many people astray toward destruction. That's what we're going to see. Number three, those false teachers are motivated by greed and sensuality. Greed and sensuality are behind what they're doing. Number four, they will be judged. There will be judgment. This does not go unnoticed. This is not simply uh, the father looking away and saying, oh, this is not a very big deal. No, no, no. They will be judged. There will be judgment. You're going to see that kind of language all throughout the text. Those are the four things you're going to see in the text. So that leads to one main conclusion for us. We must be on our guard and stick close to the truth. If all of this is true, then we must be on guard and stick close to the truth of God's word. Always, every moment of every day. Look at verse 1. Peter says, Pastor Peter says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there also will be false teachers among you. The word but here at the beginning of verse 1 is a connecting word. And though this is a new chapter in our translations, it's not a completely new thought. What we're going to see today really does flow out of what we have looked at over the last few weeks. Over the last few weeks, Pastor Peter was doing defense. And he was vaguely addressing the false teachers. But here, Peter's going to go to offense, and he's going to directly address these false teachers. We see the connection between this week and last week in that first reference to the false prophets that arose among the people. This is a reference to the Old Testament, the days that he was talking about last week. The warnings about false prophets are plenty in the Old Testament. I can give you like all days worth of warnings against false prophets that we find in the Old Testament. But I want to give you two, just two, to get us started. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1 with me. It says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true, concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him. And you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve 
him and cling to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from among you. Deuteronomy chapter 13. False prophets arise among the people. Oh, just, oh, just never mind them. Oh, just pay them no attention. It's not that big of a deal. Is that the approach? No, certainly not. This is a massive problem, and it must be dealt with. Jeremiah chapter 23 is another place. In fact, that whole chapter is really interesting. I would encourage you sometime today to read all of Jeremiah chapter 23 in light of 2 Peter chapter 2. But I'll give you just a taste of it, starting in verse 16. Jeremiah 23, 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you will have peace. And as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, they say, calamity will not come upon you. But who has stood in the counsel of the Lord that he should see and hear his word? Who has given heed to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord has gone forth in wrath, every, even a whirling tempest. It shall swirl down on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed and carried out the purposes of his heart. In the last days, you will certainly understand it. I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Jeremiah 23 is full of that kind of language and the warning about the false prophets that were among the people in the Old Testament. We even saw it today in Sunday school, did we not, in Micah? Was this not yet another example of all the various streams of our study of God's word coming together today? I mean, it's crazy that we were in Micah talking about the dangers of the false prophets and how they manipulate the people and how there will be judgment upon them. And we come to 2 Peter chapter 2. What's even more interesting is that the youth group, who's doing a whole separate thing, this is another stream of our teaching of the word of God in James, also has this same kind of, kind of element of, you don't just hear the word, you've got to do it. Get the true word. And do what it says. God is faithful when we study his word. This was a threat in the Old Testament. False prophets rising among the people. And it was a threat against the people from the inside. Which is perhaps even more dangerous than the threats from the outside. Wouldn't you agree? That if we have an enemy within, is more dangerous than an enemy without? Certainly R.C. Sproul sees it this way when he says, The most destructive threat to the people of God in the Old Testament was not the armies of the Philistines, the Assyrians, or the Amalekites, but the false prophets within their gates. And we know that oftentimes the people of God followed those false prophets to worship the Baals, to sacrifice to other gods, to forsake the way that the Lord had commanded them. That's dangerous. Peter says, in the same way, in the same way as false prophets arose among the people in the Old Testament, in the same way there will be false teachers among you. It's interesting to consider why Peter said false prophets and then false teachers. False prophets arose among the people then. False teachers arise among you now. Maybe it's just a stylistic difference intended to not be repetitive. So it's not super redundant, false prophets and false prophets. So he says false prophets and false teachers. Maybe, though, 
it's because the specific guys that Peter is addressing weren't claiming to be prophets. They weren't claiming to speak with authority. They were saying, we're not prophets, we're just teachers. Like they were setting up some kind of plausible deniability if they proved to be false. If that's the case, Peter undoes that by his equation of the two with just as. Even if these guys are trying to distance themselves from an authoritative proclamation by saying we're just teachers and not prophets, Peter won't let them do that. He equates the two with the phrase just as. It is this parallel. It is this equating of the false prophets and the false teachers that we need to see here. Those false teachers are just like the false prophets in the Old Testament. Those false teachers among you are just like the false prophets among the Old Testament people of God. Amongst biblical scholars, there's a ton of debate about why Peter uses the future tense here. Really, not just here, but so much in this passage. Like he says, false prophets arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. That conversation, that debate is super technical. Pages and pages have been written about it. It's extremely complex. But it seems to me that the simplest approach is the best approach. Peter is using the future tense to communicate the certainty of these things. The certainty of these things. The certainty that false teachers will arise among you. The certainty of all these other things. In fact, look at the text. Look at all the text. He says, there will also be false teachers among you. They will secretly induce, introduce destructive heresies. Many will follow their sensuality. The truth will be maligned. They will exploit you with false words. These things are sure to happen. It's not just they might happen. These things are certain to happen. We need to understand it that way. Well, the main point of the first bit of verse 1 is that false teachers have always been around. And they will always continue to be around. Jesus warns about this in Matthew chapter 7. Speaking to his followers at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, and you heard a minute ago, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. That's a pretty provocative picture, isn't it? Beware of the false prophets. They look like sheep. They wear sheep's clothes. They talk like a sheep. They smell like a sheep. But inwardly, they're a ravenous wolf. Why would a ravenous wolf want to get amongst the sheep? Oh, to fill his belly up, right? It's easy pickings if you're a wolf among the sheep. Jesus says that to his followers the Apostle Paul says this to the Ephesian elders just as he says goodbye to them in Acts chapter 20. Again, he's invested in these people for an extended period of time. A church has been born. He's raised up elders. God is doing a work, and Paul is about to exit from them and hand off the leadership of the church to these men, and this is what he says to them. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The Apostle Paul, as he leaves the Ephesian elders in charge of the church, he says, this is going to happen. 
Men are going to come in, savage wolves come in from the outside, and some of you, even some of you standing in here today, are going to become those kind of wolves. Be on your guard. But did you notice at the end, he says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. What's, what's going what's to hold you steady in the midst of all those false teaching? God and his word. What a gracious thing he has given to us. The main point here in the first part of verse 1 is that false teachers have always been around and they will continue to be around. But there's a secondary point that Peter merely assumes that I do want to draw your attention to. Peter is drawing a pretty direct parallel to the people in the Old Testament, namely Israel, the covenant chosen people of God, and you, the church. That's important. He's saying, just as false prophets arose among the people, Israel, the covenant people of God, he says false teachers will rise among you, which is the modern parallel of that. He's done this before. In fact, we saw this language in 1 Peter chapter 2 and a number of other places, by the way, in 1 Peter. But here's the clearest one. He says, but you, writing to the church, right? These, these people who have been redeemed and adopted, scattered, right? Chosen, exiles, He's writing to the church, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for God's own possession. That's all language that referred to Israel in the Old Testament. And now he's taking that language and he's using it to identify the church in the New Testament. He goes on and says, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So here's what I want you to get. The secondary point in verse 1 is that this stuff applies to us, the church. The promises, the Old Testament, apply to us, the church. Not the U.S., not America as a nation, but us as the people of God. The covenant people of God. The new covenant people of God. Read on. Read on, he says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. So this is what these guys do. This is what the false teachers do. And they will do these things. It's what they've always done. It's what they've always done from the beginning. It's what their father did in the beginning. It's what they've always done. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. John MacArthur said, False teachers do not always openly oppose the gospel. Some claim to believe it, to have the true interpretation of it. But in truth, they misrepresent it or offer a shallow, inadequate message that cannot save. Because their teaching is as lethal as it is subtle, the self-styled opinions of false teachers can damn the souls of unsuspecting professed believers. I think my favorite part of that line is, their false teaching is lethal as it is subtle. See, false teachers don't show up with a sign around their neck that says, Hi, my name is False Teacher. I'm here to lead you away from Jesus into eternal damnation. They don't put on their resume, False Teacher, from 2000 to 2004. It's not the way it works. They are sneaky, just like the devil himself, who is behind all of their work. They secretly introduce heresies. You know what the Greek word behind the word heresy is here? Heresy. How about that? This is, this is a word that we just like take straight out of Greek and put it into English. And that word has two layers of meaning. Two layers of meaning that are related. Number one, 
It can mean a false teaching. It can refer to the content of the message that is contrary to the truth of God's word. That's how we use it always today, right? We use it in that sense. If we talk about something is a heresy, we say that it is about the content, that the content of this teaching is directly uh, in opposition to God's word. Or secondly, it can also refer to a division. And it's used this way often in the New Testament. It can refer to a division, in other words, the context of the false message that creates a faction that breaks off from the whole. So it can be either false teaching or a division and a faction. And I want you to know that Satan's design in all of this is not just to lead people astray doctrinally, but to break them apart socially. Satan's plan with these false teachers is not just to lead people into false doctrine. It's to break them apart as the body of Christ, to destroy the fellowship of the church in the process. We must remember that he is here to steal and kill and destroy. And if he can lead you away doctrinally, that's bad enough. But if he can lead you and some of you away doctrinally and split you off from the rest of us, that's even worse. And that's what he designs. That's all That's all held in this word for heresy. They secretly introduce heresies that are destructive. The word destructive here is the adjective used to describe the heresies. And it's a word that almost always indicates eternal judgment and condemnation. It's the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 7 that you heard a little while ago. In verse 13 when it says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. The gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it. This word for destructive is the same word that's used there. It's also used in Romans chapter 9 to describe the vessels of wrath that are prepared for destruction. Here's my point. These heresies are not mere mistakes. These heresies are not trivial misunderstandings. These are not differences of opinion. These heresies are worthy of eternal condemnation. As much as this text indicates that those who teach the heresies will be judged and condemned, this part of the text also teaches that those who follow those heresies, those who embrace them and believe them and go the way of the false teachers will also be judged and condemned. Like if you, if you follow the false teacher and go with those destructive heresies, you will be destroyed by the heresies. You will be judged in the process. You won't be able to say, oh, I was just doing what the teacher told me to do. No, you're responsible. You're responsible for what you hear. This is not a game. What, what, we, what we do in this room, when we open up this book or in those rooms, when we open up this book or anytime you get together privately, or corporately in a small group, and you open up the book, it is not a game. It is not trivial. It is not light. It is life and death. It is eternal life and eternal death. My dear brother, who is preaching today in another church, is nervous as can be, and rightly so. Rightly so, to stand up before the people of God and say, thus saith the Lord. Which is what we do when we proclaim the word of God to you. We say, this is what God has said. That is not light. 
We should be nervous. We want to get it right. So that when I say to you, based on the book, this is what God has said, you can, you can trust that this is what God has said. And you can see that this is indeed what he has said. This is not a game. We cannot and we must not play fast and loose with God's word, with God's truth, with God's ways. He says, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. That phrase, even denying the master who bought them, is the subject of a great deal of debate, particularly about the nature of these guys being purchased by the master. It's a redemptive word that's used there. So this raises a bunch of questions, and when I talked with a bunch of guys Tuesday, we went down a thousand different rabbit trails, all of which really, really do come right out of this text. But I want to cut right to the chase. I want to cut right to the heart of the matter and let you see that these guys were in the church, right? They will also arise among you, right? These are not outsiders. These are not strangers. These are not invaders. They are within the church. This is not a threat that's out there. It's a threat that's in here. They are inside the church. And as those who are inside the church, they claim to be followers of Jesus. They claim to be saved by his grace, right? That's part of what it means to be within the church. We're not talking about visitors or guests who come in just to watch. I don't know that that happened a ton in the first century. But we're talking about people who were part of the church. They were part of the family. They were members, right? What what do you got to do to be a member of First Baptist Church? You got to stand up and say, I believe in Jesus. He saved my life. He's changed me. In fact, I will show you that he's changed me and I will get baptized. Right? I will demonstrate before the world, I will claim before all the world that Christ has saved me. I will say, he is my Lord. These guys were in the church. As such, they were those who claimed to be followers of Jesus, saved by his grace. Beyond that, these guys, the false teachers, claimed to be speaking on behalf of the Lord. They're not marginal. They're central figures within the church. And yet, Pastor Peter says... They deny the master who bought them. They make all these claims, and yet they deny the master who bought them. Perhaps they deny him by their teaching, by the things that they're saying. We know from later in this letter that they deny the return of the Lord. They deny his second coming. Maybe that's what Peter's talking about, but I think more clearly, they definitely deny him by their behavior. They deny the master who bought them by their behavior. They are greedy. They are manipulative. They are sensual, the text says. This is not what it looks like to confess the master. In fact, maybe this is a great side note for us to talk about a little bit. Your confession of Jesus as your Lord is not merely a statement that comes from your lips. Your confession of Jesus as your Lord is not merely a statement that comes from your lips lips. It is that, but it is much more than that. In fact, this goes, all roads seem to go back to Matthew chapter 7, right? It's in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is warning about a bunch of guys who have a mere profession, a mere confession with their lips that Jesus is Lord, but their lives don't match it. Look what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Like, look at the parallel. 
Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. You practice lawlessness. You may have confessed me with your lips, but you practice lawlessness. I never knew you. I think that's who these guys are. They had identified with the church externally, superficially. They were part of the church. They made the profession. They made the confession of Jesus as Lord, but their lives denied his lordship. In fact, the word deny here, even denying the master who bought them. That's a present tense verb. It's their ongoing activity. It's their way of living. It's their state of being. Not that they have denied him, but they are continuously denying him. The question that, that this raises is, were these guys ever Christians? Were they ever really Christians? I would say they looked like it, but they didn't finish the race. So evidently not, because true believers endure to the end. So brothers and sisters, finish the race. Like keep the faith. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't turn back. Don't drift away. Keep the faith, because it's those who endure to the end who will be saved. He says, these guys secretly introduce heresies, destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Read on. Here's the outcome. Bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Swift destruction. It's that same word for eschatological or eternal condemnation that's going on here. Swift destruction. Swift in the fact that it is certain and it is soon. Like there's not an escape from this. Apart from repentance, there's not an escape from this. But I think maybe the most important part of this text is that they will bring this upon themselves. They are bringing swift destruction upon themselves. When God judges them, when God condemns them, when they face destruction, they have brought that on themselves. There is no unfairness in it. There is no excuse in it. Just as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There's not injustice in that. There's absolute perfect justice in it. They will bring this upon themselves. Look at verse 2. Here's the impact of all this. You get it? These false teachers, they arise, they sneak in, destructive heresies. They bring judgment upon themselves. But verse 2 says, many will follow their sensuality. Many will follow them. Not an isolated few. Not a couple here and there. Many will follow their sensuality. Many will follow them because of this sensuality. Like that's part of their appeal. They are appealing to the flesh. They are appealing to the broken fallenness in us all. And many will follow their sensuality. MacArthur says sensuality is a strong word, referring to habitual sexual immorality and unrestrained debauched conduct. By using the plural form of the noun, Peter emphasizes that the false teacher's sexual lewdness came in many forms and extremes. And many will follow after that. Like, it's not as if many are disgusted by that are repulsed by that, it seems like many in the church 
are enticed by that and will follow after it because of these sensualities. Alexander Nisbet says, It's not strange to see that the most dangerous heretics have many followers, every error being a friend to some lust. That's super interesting. Super interesting to look at the, the lust that is connected to almost every heresy. There's a parallel there. But the question is, who are the many that are following them and their sensualities? Who are these people? Who is this crowd that is headed down the broad road that leads to destruction? Who are the many that follow the false teachers? They are people like us. Do you see that? They are people like you and me. This text is not a warning to the world. Though there, though there is danger for them too. They're already in danger. This text is written to us, to the church. Brothers and sisters, beware. The danger of these false teachers is real for every one of us in this room. They secretly introduce damning heresies. They bring swift destruction upon themselves. And because, and many, many, many will follow their sensuality. There's a danger for us to be enticed by these false teachers. There's another impact here, one that does have to do with the outsiders. This first one is about insiders. This next one has to do with the outsiders. It says, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. In other words, as these false teachers peddle their damning heresies and many follow their sensuality, the entire mission of the church, the entire way of the truth, the entire gospel message, the entire witness to the world will be maligned. R.C. Sproul nails it, and you know this. He says, every time there is a scandal in the church, the moral failure of a priest, minister, or teacher, it is delicious fodder for unbelievers and skeptics. This is why we grieve so much when we witness those kind of implosions amongst leaders of God's people. Because we know not only the suffering and the, the heartache and the destruction that comes to their lives, not only do we mourn the destruction that comes to the church where they serve, we also mourn the destruction of those who are looking on and saying, I have none of that. They are hypocrites. Why would I believe that message? Why would I believe that message when the one delivering the message doesn't even believe it, evidently? The way of the truth is maligned. Peter has talked about this in 1 Peter. He's talked about us being maligned in 1 Peter. And if you remember, the theme there was, if you're going to be maligned, if they are going to talk bad about you, make sure it's because you're doing good and not bad. And they will do that. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. For the time has already passed. The time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, the time is over for sensuality. Lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all of this, they are surprised. They are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation. And they malign you. You catch that? Why do they malign you? In, 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 in the right view of things, why do they malign you? Because you don't go with them into sensualities and drunkenness and all that stuff. They malign you because you follow Jesus faithfully. But in 2 Peter, he's like, the whole way is maligned when you do go that way. If they're going to malign you, if they're going to malign the church, if they're going to speak evil, 
Let them speak evil of us because we do good. Let them speak evil of us because we do follow Jesus, not because we don't. Make sure if they are going to malign us, it's because of righteousness and not sensuality. Jim Shattuck said, So when a self-identified Christian's way of life is contrary to Jesus' life, it scandalizes the gospel and tarnishes its credibility. He went on to say, it's not just your reputation that's at stake. And he was particularly talking to preachers, but I don't think it just applies to preachers. He said, it's not just your reputation that's at stake. It's the kingdom. So live with faithfulness unto Jesus so that the way of the truth is not maligned as you follow after the false teachers in their sensuality. Read on, verse 3. It says, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Let's stop there and reflect on that. Good teachers want the best for their students, right? Good good teachers want their students to grow in understanding. They want them to, to take these resources and be able to put them to work. Good shepherds have the best interest of their sheep in mind. False teachers... Bad shepherds are only concerned about themselves. And they will manipulate and exploit their followers for their own gain every chance they get. Notice in the text how the charge of greed is linked and coupled with the charge of sensuality. How often have sex and money traveled together to destroy lives? How often have sex and money traveled together to reap destruction in your life? Who's the target? In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Who's the target of the false teachers? You and me. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Peter has already stated that these false teachers will experience destruction. Here, he doubles down on that twice. He triples down on it. Notice the piling up of the words of condemnation in this passage. They will introduce destructive heresies. They will bring swift destruction upon themselves. Their judgment from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. Do you catch the sense of irony there? Remember, these guys, these false teachers, deny the second coming and therefore deny the final judgment so that you can do whatever you want, and yet they will experience the fullness of his fury. This This is what the Lord is teaching us here. They can deny the final judgment all they want. They will not avoid it. They can act as if there's no accounting and there will be an accounting. One scholar said they may poo-poo the idea of final retribution, but they are doomed men on the edge of punishment. So here's a summary from Douglas Moo. Summary of this, this passage. They are devious in their manner. They are perpetrating a serious error. The outcome of their teaching is destruction. The destiny of the false teachers is, like those who follow them, destruction. The popularity of the false teachers is great. Their impact on the Christian movement is disastrous. The false teachers are motivated by greed. The basis of their teaching is stories they have made up. That's a pretty good summary. Pretty good summary of everything we've seen. What do we do about it? What do we do about it? Well, if you're a student, if you're a listener, if you're a hearer, if you're a follower, here's what you do about it. Don't be gullible. Be biblical. Don't be gullible. All of you, don't be gullible. Be biblical. These false teachers are out there, and they are coming after you. So you better know the truth so that you will be able to spot their subtle, sneaky distortions. 
We, we talked in our Sunday school class about how we can all spot a Mormon missionary, right? When they come to our house peddling their damning heresies, leading people away to destruction, we can spot them because they wear a uniform. A white shirt, a tie, a name badge, and a backpack, and you know, false teacher. Right, that's good, that's good. I want you to be able to spot them that way, but I wonder how many of you would be able to spot them if they didn't have their uniform on. If they just sat down next to you at McDonald's or Starbucks, and they started teaching the same things they teach when they've got their uniform on, would you be able to notice the damning heresy then? Douglas Moo says, they make their message sound very biblical, but they can do so only by selective quotation. The problem is one of balance, but it's not a problem that those who do not, but it is not a problem that those who do not know their Bibles well will spot. Most sects and cults operate in just this way. Church, don't be gullible, be biblical. Church, don't be sensual, be holy. Don't be sensual, be holy. One of the methods that the false teachers use is appeal to the flesh. The lust of the flesh, which Peter told us in the first letter, wages war against your soul. If a teacher is inviting you into a freedom to do things that God forbids, run away from that teacher. If a teacher in the name of Jesus is inviting you in to do things that God expressly forbids, run away, that's a false teacher. But recognize that they will do this subtly. They won't necessarily give you permission to commit adultery or murder, but they will feed your pride. They will stoke the flames of selfishness and divisiveness. They will press all of the modern hot buttons and throw red meat to your flesh. Beware. Don't be sensual. Be holy. Jim Shattuck said, and the believer's primary defense is a working knowledge of and unwavering obedience to the authoritative word of the apostles and prophets recorded in the Bible. The false teachers are out there. You need to know the truth so that you can follow it. Not just know it, but follow it and not follow them. That's the application for the student, the listener. What about the teacher? And, and some of you are going to check out here and say, I'm not, I'm not one. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. I'm not even a Sunday school teacher. If you're a Christian, you're a teacher on some level, and you are potentially a false teacher. So you need to mind your business here. You need to be really careful. So I would say to the teacher, don't be clever. Don't be innovative. Don't be cool. Be biblical. Be biblical. Like intensely, intensely biblical. This is what Paul says to Timothy before he leaves him. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you... Be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Teacher, don't be cute. Be biblical. Teacher, don't be raunchy. Be righteous. Don't be, don't be pushing on these, these uh, sensual lusts of the flesh of the people. Don't push the limits of what is proper. Don't be raunchy. Be righteous. 
In fact, Paul tells Timothy this as well in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Pay close attention to your life and doctrine, some of your translations say. He wants him to get doctrine right. That's part of what we're talking about here. But he's got to get his life right too. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Teachers, we can't be hypocrites. Calling people to a life that we don't lead ourselves. And none of us will do this perfectly. But we will do it passionately. We must do it passionately. Let's stand together and pray. Father, this is, this is hard and heavy. And I wish it was easier. We wish it was easier. But we are thankful that you have told us the truth about how false teachers will always be around and how to spot them and how to resist them. God, we don't want to be gullible followers. We want to be biblical disciples. We don't want to be sensual feelers. We want to be holy and righteous. We don't want to be clever, innovative teachers. We want to be biblical. We don't want to be raunchy. We want to be righteous. Because we know that what hangs in the balance is life and death, eternal life and death. This is not a game. God, teach us it's not a game. lead us on the path that leads to life. I pray for men and women and boys and girls who may be scared right now that they are on the wide road that leads to destruction. I pray that you will teach them about your holiness and their sinfulness and the sacrifice of Christ in their place. That you will show them the only escape from coming judgment your grace in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and that we receive salvation by faith so give it Father give them faith to believe in Jesus give them repentance to turn away from sin and be glorified as you redeem a people for yourself we pray this in Jesus name